Welcome to The Prism Effect, a podcast with me, Larry Knoll, lead pastor of The Light in Kent. Just as prisms break light up into its spectral colors, I hope to help you discover the scripture's meaning for your life. So today we have finished a seven-part series on 2 Samuel, which is the life of David as King David. And I want to move back into a series that we'll move back into every now and then on breakthrough. Breakthrough seems to be something people are interested in. You know, I need a breakthrough, Pastor Larry. You know, pray that God will give me a breakthrough in my job. Pray that God will give me a breakthrough at school. You know, a financial breakthrough. And I hear this word a lot, and I was like, maybe we should talk about this. So every now and then, we'll be coming back to this subject for a while and uh, until I exhaust all that I know about it or can find out about it. And I want to talk about being dressed for breakthrough today. So thank you again for being with us. This is The Light in Kent. My name is Larry Knoll, and uh, we're here in Kent, Ohio, just off the campus of Kent State University. Please, if you'd like more information, go to our website, thelightinkent.com, and uh, you can communicate with us there. If you're on Facebook today, feel free. We invite you to leave a message. Let us know you're here, and uh, we'll uh, leave words of encouragement back. And also, uh, you can do that if you're watching this later on YouTube. Leave us comments, share this video, uh, like it, and it will go to other people. And so we would really appreciate that. So today it's Dressed for Breakthrough. And we sang an ancient song that you didn't get to hear if you're only streaming with us today. And that was Put on the Garment of Praise. And so I didn't just randomly pick that song or the scripture that we read today. It's because we're talking about being dressed, having a garment. What is, how do we dress for breakthrough? And really that song tells us a lot about that. So when we're talking about being dressed, let's talk for a minute about being dressed for success. Because that's kind of a, thing in the business world that they say that you want to dress for success. Gerald Devine, who's um, with an organization called Different Class Menswear, in a LinkedIn article I read this week, he said, throughout your lifetime, you may have heard the phrases dress for success. How many have actually heard this? Not just me. Okay, very good. Or dress for the job you want, not the one that you have. But how can donning on a suit or smart attire make you successful? Well, science says if you want to be smarter, dress better. If you want to be smarter, dress better. And it's not just superficial. Slip on a tailored suit, fine shoes, and perhaps a bespoke shirt, and it will transform you. It just feels good. And I think when we dress up, we wear, you know, dressy, dressy clothes. It does. It changes us. You know, I've directed um, theater for years. And one of the things that we did a lot was period pieces. Like we called it the gospel according to Scrooge. It was a Victorian era um, Dickens theme based around good old Scrooge. Or the story of Christmas Carol. And it was really funny because... You try to get people to uh, go back to that era. And it was really, really funny in the South where I was because tried to get Southern accents to turn into English accents. That was really interesting. We had to do a lot of work there. But anyhow, I, I always found it interesting that when people would finally put their costumes on and go to rehearsal, it changed a lot. It was like you could get in character so much better when you had props and costumes. And so I think that is almost unscientific proof, okay, of what this is saying is science. Science says if you want to be smarter, dress better. If you want that job, then start 
acting like you want that job, dressing like you. Help your boss, if you're looking for that promotion, help your boss see you in that position. Straighten up your desk, you know. If it's a mess, how are they ever going to see you move from that cubicle to that office? They won't. So there's some things that we can do in, you know, outwardly that can change the inward. And if we want to break through to new levels, we must spiritually dress for success. The Word of God witnesses about this. So let's talk about, let's talk about dressing for success spiritually. And when we do, we're going to go to the word anointing. So this is an this is an interesting word because the word anointing just gets a lot of use and misuse I think in the body of Christ. Because if we really like what somebody said, we'll say, "Boy, wasn't he anointed?" You know. And if you're not a church person, you have no clue what they're talking about. And I think a lot of church people really don't have a clue. They just have a feeling and they've heard that word used. You know, if a person sings really well and everybody lifts their hands or gets up and dances, wasn't that some anointed singing? You know, we have an idea of what the anointing looks like on the outside. And that they might be anointed speakers and they might be anointed singers. But let's talk about what the word says on about the anointing. First of all, there's the ordinary anointing, which is anointing the body or the head with oil, which was a common practice with the Jews as with other um, Middle Eastern uh, and Far East nations. And anointing was also a mark of respect. Sometimes it was paid by the host to his guests. So when you would come in, you have to remember, no pavement, no shoes, dusty roads, or muddy roads. I mean, people came into your house. They may have walked a long way. No deodorant. Hello. Okay. <laughs> so you would have your servants take care of them. And one of the things was washing their feet. Another would be to anoint them. Okay. And the anointing oil wasn't just olive oil. It had different spices and things in it that smelled good. It was the perfume of the day. And it also felt good. And it made you look good. So um, that was a common practice. Then there was official anointing. Okay? Isn't this interesting? Official anointing is like when there was an, an inaugural event. All right? So what does that mean? Well, either you're installing a prophet, a priest, or a king. A prophet, a priest, or a king. Usually prophets... You don't hear about this a lot, but every now and then there was, they would anoint a prophet with oil. But you always heard about this with the priests. It's documented in the Bible. And then kings, they were always anointed with oil in the Jewish nation. Okay. Then there's the ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical use of this word, which you know this one. It's in the book of James about anointing the sick, you know. With oil, we have some little bottles of oil that you couldn't hardly get your hand wet with. Okay, we just dab it on. But um, they probably poured it on them. They probably, you know, liberally poured it on them, not just dabbed it on their forehead or something like that. And so that was the New Testament church in the book of James. It says, for the recovery of the sick, anoint them with oil. And then there's the word Messiah. Do you know what Messiah means? Anointed one. So there's that word there, that Messiah, which comes from the word anointing. And the nature of the Messiah's anointing is described to be a spiritual anointing or Holy Ghost anointing. And we know that Christ was anointed as prophet, priest, and king. Okay? So he was, he had the triple anointing, didn't he? All right, and then there's spiritual anointing with the Holy Ghost, which is conferred on us Christians by God himself. So the anointing, basically, when we're talking about anointing, and we see that on people, spiritually speaking, it's expressing 
the sanctifying influence is the Holy Spirit on a Christian. A lot of words there. So sanctifying means setting apart for service. Do you know, in the temple, they would sanctify a vessel for use, okay, in the temple. So you couldn't just pick up a cup, a vessel, a bowl, or any. You couldn't just use it. You had to sanctify it for service. That may, meant it had to be washed inside and out, prepared for service. So when you think about sanctification of us, it's being set apart for service. It's where God is making us more like him. He's cleansing us. He's making us more holy to be used by him. So sanctification or the act of sanctifying is a work of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that we are priests and kings like Jesus unto God. So all this has to do with the word anointing that I've been working through here with you. And that's where I want to stay is really on that anointing, the spiritual anointing. So if we want to look at one of the early illustrations of the anointing, let's go to Psalm 133, and it's talking about a priest's garments. Now, this, this is going back to King David again. This is going back to what he had observed when he saw the priests of God being anointed. This is what he had observed. And in Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3, it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Let me tell you what. There is an anointing here at the Lighting Kent. Can I tell you that? And it's people that live together in unity. It's a pleasant place. So if you haven't come here yet and you want to get out of the mess of this world and people yelling and being nasty at each other, come here. There is an anointing of unity here. And it, and it says that how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together. This is an observation from David. It is like precious oil poured on the head. Now, see, he's using an object lesson here, something he's seen. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. So there's a lot of oil here, folks. Running down on Aaron's beard, okay, the priest, and down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, you have to remember, Hermon was about 100 miles north of where Mount Zion is, okay? People get those confused. You got Mount Zion and Mount Zion. And Hermon is this huge mountain range north of where Mount Zion is. Mount Zion is a hill, everybody, in Jerusalem. And it's moved around, by the way. There's different places that's been called Mount Zion, but it's always this high place in Jerusalem. But about 100 miles north is Mount Hermon or Mount Zion, where Mount Zion is. And it's so big that there's snow caps. Did you know that there's snow caps in Israel? Down where, where Mount Zion is, it's desert-like. It's kind of like the Arizona thing. You go up in the mountains, it's snowy, you come down, it's desert. And so what he's saying here is it's and on Mount Hermon or Mount Zion... They say that if you put your pitch your tents up there, if you're camping out, and this is something that you can read in the Word in other places, that no matter what the weather was, it could be the dead of summer, I mean, hot as can be, dry, but you get up in those mountains, and every morning it was like it had rained on your tent. There was so much dew. And so, therefore, you have the snow caps up there. And it says it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling a hundred miles south on Mount Zion. See, I have read this a hundred times. I just never took the time to investigate that. And I was like, that is really interesting. So there's a it's when this oil would come down on the priest, it would be poured on him and down his beard, on his collar. It was it was refreshing and it was cleansing and it was as if 
All that refreshing air and that cool air was coming down on a desert. I love that illustration, don't you? For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Wonderful, wonderful illustration here. See, the anointing flows down the body, he's saying, to the hem, all the way down to the hem of the garment. And when I hear that, first of all, it makes me think that God is telling us the anointing flows from the head. Who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ, right? So the anointing flows from the head down on the beard and down through the rest. We're, we're like the garment. The anointing flows from Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit anointing flows down the body. So we are in the body, the body of Christ. You don't need to seek the anointing. I don't believe you need to seek the anointing. If you are where you should be in the body of Christ, the anointing will come to you. It will flow to you if you're in your place. How do you, how do you get in your place? I believe you're in a place of submission to leadership and to Christ. Okay? You're in obedience to God. You're living in obedience to Him, to the leaders of, the, of your, whatever local body that you are part of, and you're in submission to each other. So you're, you're taking care of one another. You're trying to work with each other in unity. When you are where God wants you to be, the anointing flows to you. Isn't that a wonderful illustration of that? And see, this is the opposite of rebellion. This is the opposite of selfishness. This is the opposite of being egocentric. I'm glad I got through that. I was really worried about that, but I feel like it made sense, you know, because I learned that this week. It came to me this week. And so this is the first time I've shared that. And I was like, I hope that comes. Did that come across? OK. All right. Did you get that? All right. Out there. Shake your shake your phone if you got that. All right. All right. Good. Hello. So the anointing can only exist where there's unity and there's something called corporate anointing. And I, like I said, I believe we have a corporate anointing. And there's different anointings. I think we have one of unity and love here and care. It's because it's not a huge church. It's a, this is a small church. And so when you come in here, we know this is your first time. And we're going to make you feel welcome. We're going to love on you. We're going to learn your name. And the pastor will probably remember it, you know, about the third time you come. Okay, it takes me a while. All right. But there's a corporate anointing. We have an anointing to go out. We're where we should be. We're right where God wants us to be. And we have an anointing, a corporate anointing to go out and love people. That means whatever it takes. It could be handing out candy like we just did Friday night. That's just a way of loving people. Sure, we gave them a little track for the kids to tell them about the love of Jesus. If we didn't love them, we wouldn't do that. But because we love them, we want them to know about Jesus as well as get a cavity. All right? And you see, the, a corporate anointing is not going to be found in a body where there's dissension, backbiting, jealousness, people talking about each other behind their back. That, that just destroys that right there. There might be individuals who are anointed, but you won't see that corporate anointing. So there is an individual anointing, and there's also a corporate anointing. So since the anointing was poured out on garments, we see this in the word with Aaron, the priest. We need to be sure that we cover each other before we head into battle and move ahead into a breakthrough. Because you probably said by now, what does this have to do with a breakthrough? And so for in order us to for us to have a breakthrough, before we need to be mindful that we are all in a battle against Satan. And we cannot defeat him on our own. I'm going to just say this. It's going to be hard for you to defeat Satan with just you and Jesus. He didn't intend that. He wanted you to be in a body. A fellowship of other believers. If at all possible. 
So before we head into battle, before we move ahead into a breakthrough, let's look at these different garments. I want to thank, so from this point on, I want to thank Bruce Philippi, pastor here in Ohio, who shared this part of the sermon here. It's really good. So there's the garments of praise. We sang, put on the garment of praise, 1976, vintage chorus. See, we don't say old now. You don't say old, you say vintage, and it makes it cool to have vintage. See, we go to Goodwill and we get vintage clothes, which I wear all the time anyhow, all right? So garments of praise. The garments of praise, by the way, are from God. They're not to God. They're, what are you saying, Pastor? Let's go to Isaiah. We read this scripture to start the service off. It says, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. And remember, Jesus actually read this. In the New Testament, when he was in the temple and he was telling people why he was there, he was saying, this is this prophecy was also about me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has what anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, or as we sing in that song, heaviness. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Wow. What an anointing. But this is a spiritual anointing. See, he's saying the Lord has anointed us because we are of Christ. We have a shared anointing with him. We have a corporate anointing with Christ. And the Lord has anointed us because we are called into ministry. Did you know you are called into ministry and you are called into ministry? And back there, you're called into ministry. And over here and out there, you're called into ministry. Ministry is service. Ministry is not a piece of paper and you take a test. It's not a position where you get paid to do it. It can be. But ministry is service, serving the Lord, serving others. So the Lord, and he's telling you, what is the Lord? Why am I here on this place? It's to set the captives free, to set the prisoner free, to bring healing to people, bring deliverance to people. That's our corporate anointing with Christ, by the way. The Lord has anointed us because we are called to ministry. Elder Thomas S. Monson's April 1996 talk called Duty Calls, he wrote this. Now, some of you may be shy by nature or consider yourselves inadequate to respond affirmatively to a calling. Remember that this work is not yours and mine alone. It is the Lord's work. And when we are on the Lord's errand, we are entitled to the Lord's help. Remember that whom the Lord calls, the Lord qualifies. So if God has called you to work, called you to minister, called you to serve, he will provide the anointing. He will provide the qualification. You don't have to worry. You know, one of the first questions people like to ask is, you know, um, when you're in ministry is, you know, where did you go to school? Where did you get your education? All right. That's not important to God. It's important to know what you're talking about. It's important to study, to show yourself approved. But what's important to God is that you respond to his calling first. You can go to Bible school, everybody. You can go to Bible college. You can get the degree, but that doesn't give you a calling. There's a lot of people that go to those places, they don't have a calling, all right? They don't have an anointing for what they do. The words, beautiful crown on our heads, 
in exchange for ashes in the scripture. Isn't that interesting picture there? Beautiful crown. See, people would go to the altar. The Jews would go to the altar to sacrifice for their sin. And they would burn up whatever it was that they took, you know, for their sacrifice. Then they would take the ashes from the altar and they'd put them on their heads. Okay? Not the little smudge from Ash Wednesday, you know. But they would put ashes on their heads. Okay? They would spread those ashes on their head to show that they left it at the altar. Isn't that good? Have you ever heard that expression? Brother, you need to leave it at the altar. Well, the Jews really did. They would say, this is representative of my sins, and I'm going to leave it at the altar. And they would burn it up, and then they'd take the ashes and say, I've left it at the altar. I'm forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? Ashes is a burnt sacrifice. See, that's the results of our sin. That's the results of our sin. And this word here is saying that he exchanges our despair for garments of of praise. The spirit of heaviness, the song says. The spirit of have you ever felt desperate? Have you ever felt that spirit of heaviness on you? And he says, the anointing lifts that. And you feel like giving God praise when it doesn't even make sense to give him praise. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Number two. Number two is the garments of praise. Let's talk about that. The garments of praise is when we cover each other with that garment. We cover each other with the garment of praise. What are we talking about? So it's necessary to unify the body of Christ. You know that. We can't do anything if we're divided. And so what does unity look like? Some people think that means agreement, that we all agree. Did you know that if we took a controversial subject in this small church here, and I asked you about that controversial subject, we'd find that we'd probably have several different opinions on that. We would be divided. We would be in disagreement about. So it's not that we are, you know, like the Stepford wives here. It's not it's not like we're robots. We're going to be in disagreement on some details from time to time. But we are in unity. We all want the same thing. Is that true? We all want the same thing in Christ. So. When here's what unity looks like. It's when I cover you with encouragement and prayer. Isn't that a beautiful thought? I cover you with encouragement and prayer. That's what unity really looks like. You might stumble. I'm going to encourage you. I'm not going to go, what a jerk. Look what he did. Okay. I'm going to encourage you. Look what she did. No, I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to point out your faults and make a big deal out of it. I'm going to encourage you and pray for you. See, when we criticize, when we find fault, when we slander each other, we uncover each other, don't we? It's like we expose each other. First Corinthians chapter 13, we know that, right? The love chapter, right? We probably... Did we read that at your wedding? I don't remember. That was a year ago. All right. <laughs> but 1 Corinthians 13, we read this at a lot of weddings. And, and some of the attributes of love are this. Love is kind. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love keeps no records of wrongs. And love always protects, meaning covers. We do that with family a lot, don't we? We protect We cover. We try to make sure nothing happens to those in our family. And that's the way the body of Christ should be operating if we're operating in love. All these things. I'm not self-seeking. I'm not trying to promote myself. If anything, I want to defer praise and promote you. I want to build you up. Leaders shouldn't be squashing people down. They should be raising people up. 
And the Bible says that we have an advocate before the Father who is Jesus. Sunday school answer number one. Someone, what is an advocate? An advocate is someone who comes to our aid and pleads our case to a judge, a lawyer, a defense attorney. That's an advocate. He speaks well of us. He defends us. He covers us. We feel good when we have a defense attorney, if he's a good one. All right. And we have a prosecutor, the accuser, who is Sunday school answer number 10, Satan. Revelation 12, 10 says the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. Day and night, this character is trying to convince God how bad you and I are. Oh, no, he doesn't. Well, go back to Job. Read about Job. What was he doing? He was campaigning how bad Job was. Job is this God, you know. You think Job is so great, God? Huh. I'll bet you if this happened and that, you know, he wouldn't serve you. So Satan is constantly accusing us. Hey, he's got a lot to accuse me of. He's got quite a list. And God is good. He is good. See, Satan doesn't want God to extend his grace on you and me. He doesn't want God to extend his forgiveness to us. And he doesn't want us to receive that grace. Why? Because Satan is always trying to uncover us. Look at this. Look at this. You're, you're terrible. You thought that. You said that. You did that. And you call yourself a Christian? And that's Satan's job is the accuser. So let me ask you a question. Whose work are we doing when we uncover other people? When we try to expose others? We're, doing, we're helping Satan out. Basically. But when we cover people with grace. I love Andy Griffith. I love the Andy Griffith show. Because Barney is me. All right. And Barney puts his foot in his mouth. Barney does things he shouldn't do. And Andy is God. And Andy just covers Barney sometimes. And make sure Barney gets the credit for what Andy does. And I always look at that. I said, that is a great example of how God treats me so much. His God could go, yeah, he, he messed up, but I saved the day. And God covers me with his grace. God covers me. So whose work, let me ask you a question. Are we supporting when we uncover each other with criticism? With gossip? We're doing the work of Satan. We should be doing the work of grace and covering others. Number three is there's the garments of identity. Very important, very important here. Breakthroughs, by the way, rarely come until we know who we are. Who are you? Who are you in Christ? Mark 10 Verse 46 says, Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Hey, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I've heard many references to Bartimaeus in sermons and in songs, and they always call him what? Blind Bartimaeus. It's like that's his first name. Hey, blind, come over here. My name's not blind, okay? Can you imagine? It's like saying, hey, bald Larry, come over here. You know? Or bad breath Bonnie, come on over here, you know? Or hey, one arm Andy, how about it? It's like the, your defect becomes your identity, right? 
I'm not saying baldness is a defect, by the way. It's a blessing, all right? I don't have less hair to comb. I have more face to wash. So it's a blessing, you see? And it saves me lots of time in the morning. So it's like blindness was this guy's identity. Oh, the blind guy that lives over there in 234. Blind Bartimaeus, yeah, that guy. And in those days, handicapped people basically had to be beggars. There wasn't social programs to help them get a job. They couldn't do the jobs. They couldn't, they had no help at all, so they just were beggars. And so his garments, because he couldn't afford much, his garments, old and tattered probably and soiled, became his identity. And by the way, if you're blind, how do you know if it's dirty or not? You know, smell it. So Jesus stops and he calls to him. This is beautiful. He calls to Bartimaeus and he says, what do you want? And Bartimaeus, I love what it says. He throws his cloak aside. Now, why does it why does it mention that? And why did he do that? He took off his cloak, his blind Bartimaeus cloak. And he threw that aside. It was as if he said, being blind is no longer my identity. I'm not blind Bartimaeus anymore. Don't call me that. I'm taking that jersey off. I'm not on that team now. See, our condition, our sin, our mistakes are not our identity. Our defects, our handicaps, our past are not who we are. So just throw off that cloak that associates you with what keeps you from having your breakthrough. And like good old Bart, just jump to your feet and come to Jesus. And then there's the garments of battle. Ephesians 6, 13 through 18 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, it goes on in verse 14, it says there's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, the shoes of the gospel of peace, verse 16, there's the shield of faith which extinguishes Satan's fiery darts, then there's the helmet of salvation in uh, verse 17, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, and then in verse 18 it says, and pray in the spirit... We sang that a little earlier, didn't we? And with understanding. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, let me ask you, would you go into battle without protective gear? No. Soldiers do not. They wear as much as they can possibly wear. Watch the football game yesterday, Penn State versus Ohio State. Penn State's quarterback was all beat up. I found out that they have a way to print personalized armor out of, out of this plastic on a 3D printer. They scan these football players' bodies, and when their ribs get cracked, they scan their bodies, and then they print armor that only would fit them. It fits every crease of their body, and it goes around them and protects them so that they can continue to play. He's not going to go into battle without his armor. Why? Because Satan's like a roaring lion, for one thing, seeking whom he may devour. Don't you think it'd be good to have a little bit of armor? We cannot have breakthrough without this defensive armor. And there's also the offensive weapons. There's the lance of prayer. It says pray for each other. Keep praying for all God's people. Keep reading the word, the sword of the spirit. Praying, interceding for each other. That's what we do on Wednesday nights when we come together for turn. We're interceding. Some nights we turn around and we face the north, the south, the east, and the west. And we pray for people we don't even know. We're praying that the Spirit of God will touch people and draw them to this very place. The fact of the matter is we do not fight alone. And that's where we come to the garments that we wear, and this is beautiful. The gar and we're gonna, I'm going to show a movie soon about this. It's a fantastic movie, but we're just going to take a little bit of it and finish up here. The garments that are provided. Ha, 
This is good. Matthew 22. It's a parable of a wedding banquet. You know, it made me think, you know, the Damcots are here at one year and the Chunas, they're at two years. You know, we got some anniversaries flying around here this time of the year. We try to go out to eat with all these people so you can tell I'm putting on the poundage. Eating out with these folks. We do our neck, our checkup from the neck up, you know, and we talk about where they're at and how things are going, whatever questions they have. But this is talking about a wedding feast, and the king is preparing a feast for his son's wedding. Oh, I can't wait to show this movie. And here's what happens. It says the servants go out and they invite people, and people say, you know, yeah, whatever. I'm too busy. Oh, Oh, did you invite me? I didn't get the email. Okay? And all the time... He's preparing this great feast. He's getting all this food ready. And I mean, this is the way they did in weddings. These were seven-day affairs, by the way. The reception was like seven days. And nobody shows up. Nobody shows up. So the king says, okay, those are all of our friends and relatives. They don't show up. I don't know what the problem is. But here's what I want you to do, servants. Long story short, he sends them out again. And he says, just go stand on the street corner. And I don't care if they're rich, poor, ugly, you know, uh, high class, low class, whatever they are, invite them into my house. Whoo, I love this. So the servants go out and they announce it on the street corners. Anybody good or bad? You don't even have to be good, good or bad. And the banquet hall is filled and they shut the door. Let me tell you, when you showed up for these things, they locked you in. Nobody allowed in or out for seven days. What a party, huh? So Matthew 22, verse 11 says, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he said, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, this is pretty tough, and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the reason there was weeping and gnashing of teeth is if you were late and they had already shut the door, people would be knocking and pounding and upset that they had missed the big feast. So that's where you get the weeping and gnashing of teeth, okay? You go out there and put them out there with those losers that didn't get here on time. And he says in verse 14, for many are invited, but few are chosen. So how can these people be expected to have wedding garments? If he invited everybody, rich or poor, good or bad, how do you expect people to have the right clothes? Because he provided them. Are you hearing this? When you invited people to your wedding, to your children's wedding, you provided the tuxedos and the gowns for them to wear. Wouldn't that be cool if we did that today? Hardly anybody would get married now because we couldn't afford that, all right? Maybe that's where we get the whole deal about the wedding party and we rent tuxes and the girls wear those matching dresses. I don't know. That was the Jewish tradition. The father of the groom would provide them. And it would, wouldn't it be an insult if somebody sent you really great clothes and said, here, this will probably fit you. Make sure when you come tonight, you wear that. And you go, yeah, whatever. I like, I like my Cavs jersey and my gym shorts and my flip-flops. Right, Richard? Okay. You know. I mean, this is what I wear. I'm sorry. That would be an insult if somebody gave you the clothes that fit, they spent the money, and you just ignored it. And the man who was caught wearing his old clothes learned what an offense it was that he, he was removed from that celebration. You can't stay here. You've insulted us. And see, here's the thing. The, our Father in heaven, God, provides us all garments, doesn't he? Think about that. And this was Jesus' way of teaching how inadequate our self-righteousness is. We want to show up to God's banquet wearing flip-flops and gym shorts. Okay? 
Because that's what our righteousness is like compared to what God has for us through Jesus Christ. And he says, you cannot show up to the wedding party that I'm going to throw in your filthy rags. Your righteousness just won't cut it. I've prepared garments for you to wear for eternity through my son Jesus Christ. See, we're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We need to suit up, don't we? We need to put on the righteousness of Christ with the wedding clothes that God has provided. It's going to be a great wedding feast one day. God's provided everything that you need. He's the groom coming for his bride, which is the church. Are you thinking in your mind that you can just show up any old way? Are you thinking that you, your good works are going to get you there? Are you thinking that you're a good enough person in yourself? Because if you are, you're going to be like that man who showed up to the wedding not dressed in the wedding garments. God's provided something for you. You need to take advantage of it. You need to repent of that thought even that your righteousness was good enough, that your works would get you there. The Bible just clearly says our righteousness is not good enough. Our good works are not good really in God's eyes. We think they are. But compared to what he's provided for us through Jesus Christ, this garment of salvation, this Holy Spirit anointing, it's just like old rags that we're wearing. I want Tim to sing a song, and I want us to sing with him. And it just it's just four words that really hit home to me. And it just says, Lord, I need you. Would you sing that, Tim? Lord, I come I confess Bowing here I find my rest Without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Every hour I need you My one defense my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are, and where you Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you.
this is your prayer today, I want to invite you to just say that to God. I need you today, Lord. I know that you're preparing a place for me. I know that you love me. And you've prepared a beautiful garment for me. I know that my righteousness is no good. I I know that my works, no good at all. That Jesus, what he has done, I receive that. I receive Jesus Christ today. I accept this for the forgiveness of my sin, for the way that I've lived, for the way that I've ignored you, God. I receive Jesus Christ and the forgiveness he has. I ask for this now. I'm sorry that I lived any way but the way that you've called me to live. And I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness and your grace today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If that is your prayer today, this song and the prayer that I just prayed, I want to encourage you, if you're here in this building today, I'm not going to take it for granted that everybody is right with God. If you're here today or you're watching through the internet, we encourage you to reach out to us, reach out to me personally. You can do that through our website. You can go through Facebook, you can do YouTube, you can do the lightingkent.com, whichever way, reach out to us. Let let me resource you. Let me respond to your prayer request. You know, you cannot make it alone and I want to invite you to find some place of fellowship, people that love each other and are united in Christ. So if you have accepted Christ today, we rejoice with you, by the way. We're pretty happy about that. In fact, all of heaven is rejoicing today because of your decision. And I have to tell you, it's the first step. There'll be many steps after this. It'll it'll be a journey. So anyhow, reach out to us. Let us be a part of that journey with you. And God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. The original version of this message can be found on our website at thelightingkent.com. For more information, you can also reach out to us at info at thelightingkent.com or message us on Facebook.